Welcome to Flip It or Skip It, brought to you by WorthPoint, the world's largest antiques and collectibles pricing and research database. Buy right, sell right, and profit more with WorthPoint. Now, let's meet our hosts. Hi, everybody. I'm Dana Crawford. And I'm Wayne Jordan. In today's episode number 31, we're going to be discussing Vintage Posters Part 2. That's right. We did uh, episode 30 last week. It was our, our start on Vintage Posters, but we ended up with so many good things to talk about and, and questions that we wanted to address that we decided to stretch it into to two episodes. In episode 30, we talked about, oh, lots of stuff, concert posters and movie posters, strategy for pricing posters, where to sell them, how to shop for them, how to ship them, evaluating posters, lots of good stuff. And uh, for today's episode, episode 31, well, well, who knows? Because we never really know where these conversations are going to go. <laughs> we just kind of go with the flow and, and talk about what comes to mind. And, and uh, if our listeners have sent us any questions or things that they'd like to have addressed, then uh, we try to get around those too. So uh, here we go, uh, off on Vintage Posters Part 2. So, what was your first poster? Um, the Beatles. That was yeah. my first one. That was in the early 60s, 64, something like that. I was a Beatles fanatic back then because it was such a change from sugar-coated rock and roll of the early 60s. I loved it. But anyway, that was that was my first one. And the only one I have on my wall at the moment is one that I got from a, uh, a store in uh, Floyd, Virginia, in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And the store is called the Republic of Floyd. And it advertises oh. the Republic of Floyd. And it's done in the psychedelic style. It's mainly black and red and, and yellow. Uh, but the band in the center of the poster, rather than being a rock and roll band, is a bluegrass band. Oh. Because that's kind of a bluegrass town. So you see the upright yeah. bass, the banjo, and that kind of thing. That's the only one I have on my wall that's a poster currently. Although in the past, I was fond of travel posters. That yeah. was my thing years ago. But now that I've downsized, I had to choose what got sold and what got kept. Yeah, yeah. My first poster was David Cassidy. <laughs> David Cassidy. <laughs> Wasn't he one of the Partridge family? Yeah. But I have a poster still um, I loved so much. I, I took it to Hobby Lobby and had it framed. And mm -hmm. it's from an eBay event. And it was when eBay launched IT campaign. It was called don't, IT. I, -T. I, don't, I don't know that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it's signed by the artist. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I have eBay memorabilia around my house. Right. But that's the only one that I have. I was at a thrift store not long ago, and they had some vintage posters that were all still wrapped in plastic. And I didn't have a clue, you know, what they were. So but they looked like they were all the same. I let the clerk know that I was going to open up one of the posters because I wanted to look at it. And I would promise her I would purchase it. And no matter what. So she said, go ahead. So I opened it up and it was a Disney poster from the movie um, Frozen. And they were asking 25 cents. 
for those posters. So I went ahead and bought them all. And I still have them. I actually have not listed them yet. But I think that when there's an opportunity like that, you should grab it. Right. Well, 25 cents is, is, is a great deal. Well, how are you going to go about this? Are you going to open them up one at a time? Or are you going to offer it as a mystery lot that you bought all of these wrapped in plastic and and they're in the original condition, never been opened up or hung on a wall? Well, that's a good idea, Wayne. I might I might take you up on that suggestion. It's a mystery. However, eBay is kind of um it's kind of a fine line when you offer mystery type items because they want people to purchase what is in the description. Right. And if the person receives it and they say, well, this isn't really what I expected mm-hmm. because it wasn't, the description wasn't accurate. It didn't actually say I was getting this. Then it opens up for a return. Right. Right. And of course, by that time, they've opened them up, realized it wasn't what they were hoping they would be, and they'll send them back, and now you're stuck with all the extra work and the expense and that sort of thing. So if you're going to list them and describe them, you're going to have to open them up. Right. There's just no way around that. And I will open them up because I like to, just like when I shop online, I like to see the actual product that I'm going to be getting. And I have a good system where I have a big, it's like a poster board, but it's a a soft board, but it's white and it's thick. I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's a, it's a really big piece of card, not cardboard. It's plastic and it, it is bright white. So I can lay, but it's, um, it's not glossy. Right. So it's matte finish. And I can lay my posters on it, and then I use um, some clear vases that I have, and I put the clear vases on each tip of mm-hmm. the the poster, and then I stand over it. I put that on the floor, and then I stand over it and take the pictures so that people can see all of it, right. what they're getting. And then I flip it over, and I've noticed that a lot of people selling posters won't take pictures of the back. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't get that. I think it's important to be able to see the back so that you can inspect it for damage or water ring or water lines or pin, pinholes, things like that. So when you take pictures, you'll take a picture of the entire front of the poster. And then what else? Do you do edges and corners? And, and what else do you do for pictures? Yes, just like we talked about in the comic book series, I would actually um, go to each corner and take a photo of each corner and then also zoom in on any copyright or any trademarks or any logos that are within. So for this kind of thing, do you have to watermark it before you put your pictures on eBay or or Etsy or wherever you're going to sell it? I actually don't watermark my my photos. I don't really have a problem with um, people copying my photos. Um, watermarks 
to me, take away the, the look of what you're buying. It just, I just personally don't, don't like putting watermarks. How do you, what's your feeling about watermarks? If I'm doing pictures of, of artworks, then I think it's a good idea to have some kind of disclaimer or watermark or something on there so that people won't copy the, uh, the art and blow it up and sell it as, you know, as art. So that's, that's a consideration for this. I, I, I don't think it's, it's a real concern unless you have something that's rare or, you know, I think it might be good to, try to prevent the the art theft because there's a lot of that kind of thing online and and I try to discourage it in whatever way I can. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, one of them, and I have it listed now, and it's from the University of Vermont. Mm-hmm. And it was that one along with um, a Jerry Garcia, a 1982 Jerry Garcia one was at for the Ritchie Coliseum in Maryland. You may have heard that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I have. <laughs> so I have that one up for 4500 and no offers. And that one is a rare one. That one is was designed by the students at the, at the university. Right. So it's interesting that sometimes they were made by students are are thriving artists you know that are that are just getting started but they're a famous band or a famous broadway musical okay this is a good place to stop for a word from our sponsor and we will be right back have you ever bought an item to resell got it home and discovered that it wasn't what you thought it was With WorthPoint's encyclopedia of marks, autographs, patterns, and symbols, you'll always know what you have and what it's worth. Find over 150,000 identifiers updated weekly, covering glass, china, coins, currency, tools, and more. Don't waste your time and money. Use WorthPoint. For a 7-day, 7-look-up free trial, go to worthpoint.com. And we're back. Dana Crawford, yours truly, Wayne Jordan, and we're talking about Flipping vintage posters. Another important consideration is uh, the artist. Who did the art on a poster? In the 60s, uh, there was a really famous and popular, for lack of a better term, psychedelic uh, artist named Peter Max. And Peter Max, original Peter Max uh, works, uh, hang in art galleries all over the world. Uh, when, when I was traveling, I went to the um, Hermitage in St. Petersburg, and they had a display of Peter Max art there. It was uh, getting toward the end of the winter in St. Petersburg, and as dull and dreary as it was there, I'm so glad to see some color. <laughs> but uh, uh, you can find... Uh, classic posters by Toulouse-Lautrec, and uh, one of my favorites, one of my wife's favorites as well, is uh, Art Nouveau posters by Alphonse Mucha, David Klein's modernistic posters. But another good example is anything with um, Andy Warhol art, even the reproductions. Right. You know, those, those do well. Right. 
And and people collect Andy Warhol. Yeah. The artist is critical to the value of the piece. As in condi- as his condition, like everything else, but posters are graded on an eight point scale from mint to bad. Mm. So there used to be a site that I went to to look up the specifics of how to separate all those, but I haven't done it recently because I have all the things on my wall that I want at the moment. In condition, you just have to look at a poster carefully before you buy it. Things like crushed edges or creases or folds, stains, sun fading is is big because especially if the posters were outdoors, uh, inks will not stand up to sunlight. They don't. Uh, mm-hmm. Neither does uh, upholstery fabric and, and furniture stain. It will all fade over time as well. Uh, tears, repairs, all of those things will negatively impact the value of a poster. But if you have an authentic concert poster or travel poster or something by a famous artist, it's still going to bring a pretty good price, even if it's not in mint condition. Of course, the difference between mint and the next one, uh, uh, a mint A plus and a mint A can be thousands of dollars depending right. on who the artist is. So, but the uh, condition uh, is important. Right. And sometimes the reproductions are still worth money as well. They may not be, you know, as high up there, but you right. can still make a few bucks off of reproductions. You can. Uh, for example, that, um, Janis Joplin concert poster that I saw yep. over the weekend. Uh, it was not an authentic, uh, original uh, Janis Joplin concert poster, and I was able to determine that by the fax number. Right. But the fax number will also uh, give it a place in time. So you know that it's at least 30 years old. So sure. it is certainly what we would call vintage today. Generally, once something hits uh, 30 in the poster world, if it's 30 years old or older, you can safely call it vintage where, you know, anything that's 15, sure. 20 years old is just an old poster. It's interesting that you said that about the card stock. That's That was a term that I noticed was on some of the posters when I was researching was card stock because mm-hmm. the some two of the Grateful Dead ones that I listed, well, one I've not listed yet, actually is thick. Right. And it's smaller than normal. So right. it probably went on a telephone pole or it right. was made, you know, like you said, more durable right. than the other types. I have to tell you, though, when I was doing my research on Grateful Dead and I found one that went for like 25000 on um, WorthPoint. And I thought, is that real? You know, mm-hmm. did that really go for that? Well, the more that I researched and the deeper that I, I got, there was um, the guy that was in the band, they called Pigpen. Right. He passed away mm-hmm. um, before the concert. Mm-hmm. So they had to redo the posters. Oh, no. So they had to redo the posters, I think, three months later or something. Mm-hmm. I was It was such a fascinating story. So, yes. Hmm. That poster was definitely worth that amount of money because he was on it. Right. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. I mean, other things that should be common sense are posters that are signed, have autographs. Right. uh, All of those kind of things. But the 
and in that case, the the autograph may be worth more than the poster. You know, my problem is like I have one of Van Halen, and mm-hmm. it's signed to um, my my buddy Frank, and mm-hmm. he said his wife at the time was Linda, right? And it's to Frank and Linda, and it's signed by all the band members thanking wow. him for great being a great stage manager and everything, right? Right. And um, I don't like to bother him, you know, because I I'm t- I don't like to text him or bother him too often. But honestly, I can't read their writing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't read their writing. He may not be able to either. <laughs> so I mean, I could read Frank and Linda and and thank you for all you do, and I could read some of them, but right. I think. Um, Sammy Hagar or whoever right, whoever right. they were just scribbled their name. I can't even tell. Now, in that instance, you're reasonably certain that those are authentic because your source was actually there and saw it. But when you post that online, how do you approach the autograph issue? I actually told the story. Right. Yeah, I told the story. And that's what helped sell that Clash poster, as a matter of fact, because I had the story. Rather than saying these these are are absolutely genuine, you just post a picture of the signatures and let the buyer figure it out for themselves? Yes. And then I have the story. Like on The Clash, um, actually Frank was on the phone with me and he told me the story about somebody threw an M80 on the stage. Whoa. And it burned the lead singer, um, Strummer, the lead singer, it burned his leg. And he just wrapped a towel around it and said, combat, combat on. And, so, <laughs> and and he carried on with the show, but they ended up taking him to the hospital. But I did, I did my research on that, and I did find a newspaper article that somebody, they called it a cherry bomb. Frank called it an M80. So that story, though, the the buyer that didn't think twice in a couple hours bought that poster immediately right. um, reached out to me and said, um, did I have any more information about the story? You know, and then I told him, you know, a little bit more information that I knew about Frank and he was just over the moon. He couldn't wait. He can't wait to get that poster. Well, a couple of quick things before we close, let's talk about shipping posters. Sure. How do you ship them? My favorite way of shipping is they're free. You you go to usps.com and order the they're actually they they fold into a triangle shape but they're tubes. I use them to mail golf clubs and posters. Right. And they're perfect for that. And they're protected and then I have um large plastic that I I roll them in first, mm-hmm. put them in those tubes and I've never had any problems. When you say large plastic, you mean large bubbles, large plastic no, bubbles? No, I don't use bubbles. I actually have um, plastic that I bought for newspapers. Right. <laughs> so they they you slide your whole newspaper in it. Right. So it's that size. They're really large. And then I I have the tube rolled up for my poster, and then I put it in that plastic, and then I roll it with that, and then I I put the tape a little piece of tape on the plastic. Right. And then it's secure. And then I put padding in the bottom of the tube, drop it into the middle, 
And then I put padding around, you know, actually tissue paper around the top and it stays secure. And that's how I ship all my posters. Super. And it's insured. Yeah. That's the first time you've mentioned the triangle boxes. I think uh-huh. this is the, the first time that that's come up. Yeah, it's a good box. All right, Dana, it's time to go. Uh, it's been uh, fun discussing these posters because yes. they're so pervasive. Uh, you, I don't know anyone that hasn't had posters up on their wall at one yeah. time during their lives. It's not just high school and college students. But what a great what a great topic, Wayne. I could talk to you about posters all day. There's just such uh, an array of an assortment of posters to talk about. Well, maybe uh, as we move forward at some point, we can start talking about specific types of posters and specific categories. There's so much, so many things on eBay and in the in the uh, secondary market collectible sites and Etsy and right. eBay and places like that. I mean, this could go on forever. Oh, I know. I know. One final thing I did want to mention was the blacklight posters that I listed on eBay. I also use lists perfectly and I cross posted them on Etsy and I listed them for a higher dollar on Etsy. And I actually sold one of them on Etsy faster than I did on eBay. Wow. Wow. Yes. That's a good strategy. Yes. Yes. Well, Dana, clock on the wall says it's time to go. So it's it's been an interesting discussion. So if you're listening and uh, you would like more information about the podcast, you can check us out at flipitorskipit.com. And we hope you join us for next week's broadcast. Dana, have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Flip It or Skip It, brought to you by WorthPoint.com, the world's largest antiques and collectibles pricing and research database. Buy right, sell right, and profit more with WorthPoint.com.